0: Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. <clears> throat>, throat cleared. My name is Kim Erikson, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. This episode, I have not... Na- Let me just check. Yep. Yep, I don't have anything to say. This episode, we're going to try... I'm just going to say what I'm actually thinking. Yeah. I'm not wearing a shirt. I don't know if you can tell from... My voice, the way my voice sounds, but I'm not wearing a shirt. It's hot as fuck. Heat wave rolled in. God. I started out by talking about the weather. That's devastating. Devastating. I just went to the gym. Just did a quick 20 minutes on the rowing machine. I found this new gym. It's like, the old gym was like, very performative and it's like everything is really nice and clean and the lighting is really nice and it's like huge and there's a hot tub and a sauna and a big swimming pool and everyone there's fancy and they all look good and sometimes I just feel like shit and I want to go to the gym and not feel like anyone sees me so I just was like fuck that and so I found this warehouse style gym which is just like in the industrial part of town there's just this cubby in this industrial strip mall where they just put a bunch of equipment in there and it's open 24 hours so I can go after work. And I went last night and it was like empty. There was just like one sort of bigger gal on an exercise bike on her phone and me. And I just felt so relaxed. Insanely loud metal music blaring. And I just popped on some uh, noise-canceling headphones to listen to a little bit of a pod and just did the rowing machine and it was so chill. And I was like, I'm going to love this. And then I went back, back just now, did another 20 on the rowing machine. And there, were, it was just me and these two incredibly hot women in there. And it was like, ugh, back to this shit. It's hard to be, it's hard to not be a viewable object when there's like, <laughs> like a blonde, a blonde gal with a with a weird sort of like Barbie um plastic body dressed in all pink spandex and an Asian gal same body No, skinnier all spandex and just like it's weird to it's weird to just like uh, I don't wanna I don't wanna I don't wanna feel like I have to perform I just want to dress shitty and hit the rowing machine and strangely I wish that they weren't there uh, And then I'm driving home from the gym. Here's something that... Okay, this is... Here's something problematic that I'm going to say now. It's weird to be like, I'm going to say what I actually think, and then to just say a bunch of racist things. <laughs> driving home from the gym, I drive past this, like, uh, berry-selling lady who is, like, uh, Hispanic, Latinx. Uh, Latinx, but I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Latinx. Um... Probably not Mexican, probably, you know, south of Mexican. Uh, Selling berries, which is a very cool thing in America. I think we have it in Sweden, too. Or how does it work in Sweden? In Sweden, we get... um, We have like a specific visa type. I don't know that this is true, but I think this is true that we have a specific visa type for berry pickers specifically because Sweden is like all forest with like all buried out forest floor and Swedes are too busy playing video games and masturbating in the metaverse to go out and pick berries. So we get Polish people or like, you know, Um, Eastern European. Let's just say the word Eastern European. They come and they pick the berries and they get a specific visa and they get to stay for three months and it's a good time. But I don't know where those berries end up. I don't remember them selling them at the side of the road. But maybe they do. Uh, Regardless, so there's this lady selling berries on the side of the road and there's a stop sign so so I have to stop and look at the scene. And the scene is interesting because Across the street in a big Range Rover, there's a black guy pulled over, yelling at her uh, to like show the berries and stuff. And to like, he's like, nah, not that one. Show me the one behind that one. And it's very interesting because, and this is something that Americans, I don't know, it's weird. Like, there's things that Americans talk about when it comes to race and racism. And racist people say incredibly racist things. But then, then there's this in between stuff that not even racist people are honest about this. Like not even racist Americans are honest about how they're really careful. Like Ameri- white people would are really careful around like a um, probably no paperwork illegal immigrant berry picker lady, and they'd walk up there and be all nice. Probably it's as simple as you don't want to mistreat this lady because then you, um, might be called, uh, a racist, you know? So people be all nice and they'd walk up there and be, and be all nice about it and buy a berry and like maybe even tip her an extra dollar and stuff. And then there's this black guy. <laughs> and there's this thing in America where black guys don't give a fuck. And it's just, I can, I don't know, man. Uh It's not a hot take. It's not a hot take, but it's how I saw it. It. I just saw this black guy who was um, being... He was yelling in a way that didn't seem... Here's the thing. This is an all-white spectacle. Oh, Jesus, I just hit the mic. I hate it when I hit the microphone. This is an all-white construct that I'm... All-white construct. It's a white overlay to even interpret it like this. Because I think... Probably, and I'm the whole thing here is is me dude guessing, which is a word that we'll be explaining later on um, I think probably this berry picker lady is just happy that there's a guy who's like interested in me maybe buying the berries, and she's all like excited to show him the berries, but to me, it looks like man, he's really he should. Pull over on the right side of the road because he's on the wrong side of the road. He's all the way over. He's far away from her and he should get out of his car instead of making her lift up all these berries and do this whole thing. Get out of your car and go up there and look yourself, bro. Like it's, it's to me, it's looking very rude, but I don't know. It's very possible that neither one of these two people even have that white person overlay on the thing. God, what what a shitty way to start this podcast. This is a terrible way to start an episode. But, um, yeah, so I don't know if he bought any berries, but he sure was making her work for it. And he sure was yelling at her. And there was like this gleefulness and ordering her around and stuff that didn't sit right with me. But maybe she was, maybe she didn't give a fuck. You know, I have a job where I get ordered around all the time and and I just take it. I choose to not see it as humiliating. Even though it is, maybe. You know, maybe there's some third party just looking at me all day being like, wow. People are rude to this guy. I don't know. I don't know I've talked about it before I've talked about th- this before how there's this weird layer to American society where because we can't come up with a proper like there are no reparations being paid to black people um, there are just situations where black people are just allowed to be like kind of rude and white people are just like yep I guess that's fine you know We did that whole thing to them, so I guess that's fine. And it's, when you wander in as a European, first of all, that's never portrayed in the media. Like, there's never, scenes in movies never feature this. So, when you wander into the actual country as a European, as an outsider, and you see it, you're like, whoa, you guys failed to mention this in your movies and television shows and songs and TikTok skits and every single piece of media. Like you have this incredibly exhibitionistic country that portrays every part of its own self in these various, very, very highly exported forms of media, but there's just stuff that they fail to mention. And I guess that's why it sticks out to me. Things you failed to mention. You failed to mention that every time I took the bus in Seattle, oh, such an exaggeration, every time oftentimes when I took the bus, um, there's this, this thing that like, you see all these people get on the bus and all the white people pay and all the black people are just like, meh, and they just don't pay. And as a society, <laughs> all the white people are like, oh shit, I oh, must never point that out because they will call me a racist if I point that out. And then so no one points it out. And I'm just sitting there like, what an interesting compromise that they did slavery and they built entire country on slavery and they never paid black people back for all that slavery. And then so black people can take the bus for free. And then they never talk about that in their movies. Like what a weird construct. What a weird deal. Huh? And I don't know. Maybe I sound extremely racist pointing that out. I'm just... I'm just a guy, you know? I stand before you a man. It's just something I... It's just something I... I, I saw a bunch of times. This. I'm just a, a guy who's been five years in America and who... Who... I don't know. Europeans are racist as fuck. I'm probably racist as fuck. I renounce and reject myself. I'm sorry. It's funny. Theo Vaughn has this thing where he goes... I don't know. If I was racist, I'd know it. <laughs> it's just such a funny thing to say because the whole the whole thing we're saying is, no, you wouldn't, bro. It's such a funny way to say it, man. It's so funny. It cracks me up. It cracks me up because it's not true. Sometimes shit is funny because it's not true. I don't know. I don't know. Here's another thing I just walked past because this thing with the berry picker and the black guy in the car was like, I was just driving home and I had to stop at a stop sign. So it's like, I only see 20 seconds of this. Here's another one where I just walked past and just heard two people. I love this. This is going to be my new thing. Um, It's, it's at CVS. It's at the get your prescription medicine here back of the thing. Pharmacy is what it's called. Actually, it's called a pharmacy. Back at the CVS, there's a pharmacy. There's a lady standing at the counter. There's like a customer and a, and a lady who works there behind the counter. And they're talking. And the customer's real combative, real angry sounding. And she's like, so who's going to pay for this? Who, who ends up paying for all of this? The customer. And I'm feeling like, Jesus, this lady's getting cussed out. This sounds terrible. But then I realized that they actually agree because the lady behind the counter who works there, she goes like this, hello, exactly. And I, I, I haven't heard that in a while. Where you go, hello. <laughs> that's a way to agree. That's so good. I love that. I love. I, that's going to be my new thing. When people say something I agree with, I'm going to go like, hello. Exactly. Anyway, that wasn't as funny as I I thought it was going to be. Oh, just another. Just another terrible episode of my podcast, huh? Just another terrible episode. Yeah. I feel good, actually. I got my sleep kind of under control. I was telling Asher yesterday that I almost feel like maybe I've never been this... happy. Because, and I really wonder about the dating, how the dating fits into this, because now it's been like five, six months since I uninstalled all the dating apps, haven't been on the dating apps, haven't gone on new dates, haven't done that thing, been single for a little bit. And yeah, and just been like, I don't know. I guess I'm in a process of resetting, is what I'm telling myself. Oh, God. I wish I had the answer. I wish I knew what's happening to me right now. I I wish I knew why, you know? I wish I knew why. I've been reading this book by Carl Jung, Man and His Symbols. I think Carl Jung is going to be my new thing. I'm going to get really into Jung, because... For a long time on Facebook, I was a member of a a Facebook group called uh, Dank Memes from Carl Jung or something like that. And it's just like funny internet pictures based on Jungian psychology. And it's like, you have to integrate your anima. And I don't know what that means, but it's like, that sounds interesting. I feel like I have an anima. And I think I... But... What was I saying? Oh, yeah. The reason I brought it up is because in the book, Man and His Symbols, he keeps talking about how we're not aware of most things and things, the same concept will float back and th- forth between our conscious and our subconscious and will be, and sometimes things just stay just in our subconscious for a long time and we do something and we don't know why and it's because of our subconscious. And then he has this like incredibly radical interpretation of stuff where he's like, if you walk into a room, And you were going to do something in that room and you can't remember more what. It's because the concept of what you were going to do has floated from your conscious mind into your subconscious. It's like, bro, what? Didn't we just, didn't we just forget? Like, what are you talking about? Why did I bring that up? Uh, I was going to make a point. I was going to say something and I literally don't remember. It floated in. The concept, whoa, the concept of my train of thought, of the whole tree of connected ideas that I was going to explain floated from my conscious mind into my subconscious. And now it's not available to me. Yep, and there you go. You're welcome. Is the podcast just a repository of all the things that bubble up from the ocean floor of my subconscious? Probably. The co- The podcast is limited to just my conscious mind. I haven't been able to um, expand it to my subconscious just yet. Let's drink a water. So, um... I got three waters. They're all from the same brand. We're doing a a flight of Clover Valley. We've never done Clover Valley. I found this at Dollar General. Okay, check this out. Dollar General is for poor people. My crypto wallet lost $15,000 in value in the last, in a week, in like five days. In like five days, I just lost 15 grand. Okay, and that really hurts. But now it's been more than a week. And I've almost come to terms with it. And I'm almost, it's almost one of those things where the worst possible thing happens. So you just find it liberating. Because I was always, I was checking on it, like, let's be honest, every 12 hours. And it was going up and down. And it was like really sort of influencing my emotions. And now I still haven't stopped checking it. I should probably stop checking it. Dude, if I'm honest, I should probably stop checking it. It just pisses me off because I was really in a sort of not in a is it a good time to sell and cash out kind of thinking. I was going to cash out and get rid of all my or get rid of most of my crypto. Not because I'm a genius analyst who like realized that it was going to crash, but because I just think maybe it's like ethically bad. I was having an evolution of opinion where I, I'm starting to really feel like crypto might be morally questionable. Um, and then what people say, Oh God, Julie will always tell me like, yeah, crypto's bad because it's bad for the environment. But I think that's actually a terrible argument because that's when you compare it to nothing. When you compare it to zero, then yes, creating $1 million of Bitcoin value has a footprint. It has a ecological, it has a carbon footprint. There are emissions related to the productions of $1 million of Bitcoin value. But that's only if, like, that only seems like a big number, the amount of emissions, if you compare it to zero. But everything has Everything is related to emissions. Like you think printing $1 million worth of USD bills is not related to like, of course, there are plenty of emissions there. Whatever currency, whatever you do, I think if you compare crypto to whatever in terms of different, you know, banking, all the different things, crypto is very green in the end Um. <clears throat> even though it's mostly mined by, like, Chinese rigs hooked up to coal plants. But whatever. The reason I wanted to uh, cash out of crypto is because I'm realizing that it's really just a thing for bad people. And when I say bad people, I don't mean criminals. It's clearly a thing for criminals. But it's um, it's a thing for, like, Trump supporters, and conspiracy theorists. And QAnon people. It's like crypto people are QAnon people. And it's a pyramid scam feeding those people. And I really just wanted to not be part of it. Like Russian, Russian sort of... Dude, there's so much Russian money in crypto. Which is probably why it crashed. Because we embargoed them and... Yeah. And they all tried to get their money out and they did and... Ugh. Anyway, so I lost all this crypto money and I'm poor. So your boy's going to Dollar General. Your boy's poor now. This week in poor people. Your boy's poor. Clover Valley. This first one here, lemon lime. True poor people water. It's like when you can't come up with a clean enough interpretation of lemon or lime. You just call it lemon lime. And it's just like this sort of vague chemical citrus. Clover Valley, Ugh. the official water of the working poor. No, actually, this is caffeine-free. That's what it says on it. Caffeine zero, sugar zero. The working poor, they only drink things that are highly caffeinated. That's one of those sad things. Like, man, energy drink consumption Like, oh, man, I wish someone would do – there's a great Netflix documentary in there that no one has made yet where you, like, analyze per capita at different socioeconomic points, energy drink consumption, and then, like, health outcomes related to overuse. Like, because the New England Journal of Medicine tells us that having more than 300 milligrams of caffeine in one sitting is, like, horrible for you. No, I think it's more than 200. More than 200 is horrible for your heart, your heart health. And all these like rain, bang, there are multiple Celsius, there are multiple energy drinks where one can is 300 milligrams, like 50% more than you should have in one sitting ever. You know, six, seven cups of coffee in one can. And everyone making less than 20 bucks an hour has multiple cans a day and it saddens my heart it's just like so i don't know with each generation we have like different things where health where we're like Health understanding hasn't trickled all the way down to where poor people don't understand how they are doing things that are horrible for themselves. And it like used to be salad and it used to be exercise, but now everyone knows about salad and exercise. But the thing that's happening now, like in the 80s, my mom, in the 80s, I think I grew up Swedish poor and my mom didn't understand about anything about nutrition. We never had vegetables. We only had iceberg lettuce. yeah and sometimes my mom addresses that and she's like we didn't know yeah we didn't know that's what she says Clover Valley Lemon Lime yep that's so I've had so many Lemon Limes this one time I did a, a Lemon Lime lightning round and I had 17 Lemon Limes in one episode and this is the worst this is the worst I've ever had It does not taste at all like lemon or lime. That tastes like the worst Sprite you've ever had. The worst Sprite. I almost said Sprite from the upside down because I've been watching Stranger Things. I'm very disappointed in this show, actually. It had such a cultural moment. And now, last night I finished season two... And it's like, this is not a good show, guys. Why did this show have such a... Like, why did everyone watch this show? What the fuck? This is boring and not smart and not that interesting. Like, this is not that interesting of a conceptualization of, like, something scary or dark or monstery or multiverse. This is not interesting in any way. I'm very disappointed. Shame on you. Shame on you, Natasha. For I don't know. Maybe Natasha. Maybe Natasha isn't as indie. Maybe I need people to be really indie, and I'm not. Maybe that was the problem with Elden Ring too. Nah, that's that doesn't that doesn't track. Um, I have I did finish Elden Ring last week, and then I I um, felt this incredible sense of freedom because an addiction was broken and my schedule opened up and I could do whatever I want. And I would just wake up in the morning and I'd be like, what do I do today? I can do whatever I want. I don't have to play Elden Ring. Because that's, that's what it feels like to be in the throes of addiction. There's actually this uncomfortable, mandatory nest to it. Where you really, you experience a lack of Freedom. And you can get really, really bored by an addiction without that helping you break it. Like, addiction can be so repetitive and monotonous. Like, it's just every day the same fucking thing of drinking whiskey. And it's like, yeah. And every day... But so I broke it, and and then the last week I just skipped around a little bit and, and just tried out a couple of different video games. And it's very fun to just try out different things because there's a lot of stuff going on there. And I haven't played video games in forever. I've only played a couple of Nintendo Switch games. And there's a lot of culture there. And... I played two hours of Grand Theft Auto V. Fascinating. Because that's another game that's legendary, and it's probably an incredible game. I didn't get into it for reasons that... So last episode, I talked about how I heard this interview with a rabbi who was into chess, so he flew to Riyadh to watch Magnus Carlsen, the world's best chess player, play. And he then had a conversation about Riyadh, about a friend with a friend who lived in Yemen and it's like I talked about how it's really relevant where you're coming from in how you experience something and that's especially true for multifaceted, multi-face. Like Riyadh has many faces and I was talking about Hong Kong, like Hong Kong has many faces. Like if you fly to Hong Kong from Shanghai, you feel like you're looking at a 100% British city. And if you fly to Hong Kong from a European country, you feel like you're looking at a 100% Asian city because the other parts, the British parts become invisible to you if you fly to Hong Kong from the UK because you take them for granted. And then I was reminded of that playing Grand Theft Auto because I remember loving playing Grand Theft Auto when I was like 18, living in Sweden. 15 years ago, living in Sweden, I had a medium good computer and I played all the... Grand Theft Autos and I loved the one I think it's called San Andreas and it's set like I mean it's set in a city called San Andreas which is basically a fictionalized version of LA because it's like American gangsters in an American ghetto in a place that's like uh, drenched in beautiful California honey colored golden hour sunlight And living in Sweden, that was so different. And it's like that sort of, I don't know, I was talking to Katie about this. She she was saying how, because I would drive around in the game in this like ghetto America with the chain link fence and the one story buildings and the like sort of unkempt vegetation and just be like, this is so cool looking. But she was like, nah, it's more like you're not supposed to think it's cool looking. You're supposed to more feel like it's familiar. Because she grew up in California. She grew up in Sac. And Sac is a little bit like that, maybe. Um, But it's like, now, in 2022, I installed Grand Theft Auto Five and I play it and I'm driving around in this world and it's so boring to me because it's so similar to my actual life. Okay, that sounds weird. But I do mean it in a sort of just on the face of it visual way because it's just like it's just California highways and the sun is out. And that's it. Like you drive around in American in California cityscapes. And I think, yeah, I don't know, maybe this is truer for me than other people because I just, my heart really wants, my heart really has this thing of longing for, nah, this is probably true for everyone, just longing for like the perfect mix and the perfect situation and like, like I have... There's a lot of Swedish culture that's shitty that I think I consume because I just want to feel like I'm, like I just want a little slice of home. Like there's, there's Swedish rap, pop, rap music that I think people in Sweden think is really shitty and only like really, really mindless teenagers listen to it. But I listen to it and I like tear up. Cause it's like this. Cause they talk about these concepts that I don't know about. They're just new to me, and then they're totally mundane to all these Swedes. And I feel like I get this window into a Sweden that I'm missing out on. I guess FOMO is a is, an, is a is a thing here. Like, like there's this Swedish rap group called Hilvet, which I really think that. It's like one of the most, it's one of the most guilty pleasure style, shitty Swedish <laughs> things. It's like these three white boys who are like clearly just a little bit upper middle class who are borrowing heavily from like lower middle class tropes, but they, and, and then everyone just hates on them, I think. But so, they have these songs that are just, where they just talk really fast and they just throw out a bunch of Swedish concepts. And these incredibly, like for example, there's this one song where the first line is just like, Alla rusta rut men hatar ändå this is so embarrassing that I'm even talking about this, but so it means like everyone's voting red, but they still hate uh, being taxed. So voting red in Sweden is to vote um, basically for the social Democrat led left wing coalition of parties. So you vote for the social Democrats and they raise the taxes and then you still hate that you're paying too much in tax. And it's like, I didn't know that. I didn't know everyone does that. I didn't know everyone votes red and then still hate the tax, hate the taxes. I don't know if that's true, but when I hear it, I'm like, oh, I just feel this incredible spiraling, spinning sense of, of disconnected, being disconnected from something I thought I was part of. And then every single line after it, I'm like, what? Whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. What did you say? Is that true? And then it just, I just sit there in my car in America and I'm like, fuck. It's so emotionally powerful for me for some reason. So I think what I'm saying is I think I lean really heavily on culture, on, on how I need culture to be transportative. Maybe. set the word? Or like to teach me? Or like I think I, 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 I am overly concerned with origin of culture. Like I need to know where something is from. Uh, and I need it to, I don't know. Maybe I just have some really immature identity thing going on. Narcissist identity thing going on where I just like put myself in it too much. But yeah, I, I couldn't, I can't. One day I'll live back in Sweden and I'll, um, I'll play Grand Theft Auto 5. I've I've been saving that game for like a decade. I think it came out like a decade ago, or 2015 at least, or something. And everyone was like, this is the best game ever. There's even a line in in Bo Burnham's That Funny Feeling. Most zeitgeisty song of the pandemic. Performed even better than Bo Burnham's performance is Phoebe Bridgers' performance of it. And best video of 2021 was a video showing Bo Burnham's face as he stands in the audience as Phoebe Bridgers performs his song. And he just nods, nods, and he's like, yeah, hmm, yeah, she's doing my song, huh? And it's the most layered, powerful, subtle 40 second video I've ever seen. Um, There's there's a line in the song where it's like, I don't know. Maybe he goes, reading Pornhub's Terms of Service, going for a drive, uh, following all the traffic laws in Grand Theft Auto 5. (laughs) It's just so perfect. (laughs) It's so good. It's like so... I don't know. I think that song is really just actually, like that song is extremely accessible and funny on a very shallow, simple way. But I think it's also incredibly profound because it there is some sort of funny feeling of dizzying existentialism that we experience on the internet and when we're alone and when we're dislocated. And we don't have a word for it. It's just that funny feeling. You know, when we just want to feel connected to people and we want to read a self-help book about how to feel connected. And so we buy the self-help book and then the self-help book is delivered to your door by a drone. And everything you do contributes to your own dislocation and disconnection. And everything you want to do is to feel connected. And it's just that. And you just sit and marvel at it. And there's, and there's this helplessness. And it's just like this. Yeah. Okay. Huh but we're also okay. Like everything's like fine and going well and stuff. And it's just like this funny, paradoxical, funny, just calling that funny feeling is actually also just incredible microfiction somehow. And then just acknowledging Pornhub, you know, acknowledging porn. Yeah. I'm off to dating apps. I think... God, I wish I could have an honest conversation on the podcast about pornography. I don't watch a lot of pornography, but I watch some pornography. And I do think that it is something that... It's another one where I wish... I wish I just knew the answer. I wish someone could just turn the light on in the subconscious and just... Um, uh, explain to me all these probably very explainable dyna- dynamics and mechanics of the subconscious and why I feel certain ways and why things aren't going well and why things are going well. And, and I just wish someone could be like, yeah, porn is, porn is doing, and I think it's true for, like, what's true for me is true for everyone, you know? Or like, some people have a really debilitating pornography addiction, which is something I'm, I've ha- I have friends that are dealing with, so I'm not like totally unfamiliar with that. And I don't think that that's what I'm dealing with, but I'm just realizing that my microphone stand might be collapsing in any moment, but, but that's okay. I, I the thing. I think I am not um, corrupted by pornography in this in a in a classic sense that people talk about, where they talk about like w- watching porn before you have sex and having your expectations um, warped and corrupted to where you expect a bunch of porn esque things in sex. I don't think that's. A thing. I think I think it's very clear to me how porn. There's a camera and things has to, things need to be a certain way so that they are visually um, filmable. And there are angles and acts and things that have to be a certain way. Whereas like real sex and like good sex is more like you're really too like blind um, newborn mice is really what it looks like where you're just like um I don't know. I'm reminded of that Phoebe Bridgers song "Steamroller" where she talks about how she has this basically a friend who's like a brother to her but she's also maybe has a crush on him but she needs him more than she wants him. So 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 she won't fall she won't fall for him unless unless he asks first. And then there's this one line where she's like something about his fingers in the dark, but they're not touching her, but there's a danger there. Oh God, that's such a good song. And I had not heard that song until I, I was a little bit into Phoebe Bridgers and I had heard a couple of Phoebe Bridgers songs that I liked. And then I heard this podcast produced by Billie Eilish where pretty much Billie Eilish is just talking to her dad and there's only five episodes or something. And Billie Eilish describes being in the audience and, and, and hearing a pre-fame Phoebe Bridgers perform one of her first songs, which is the song Steamroller. And Billie Eilish was like, oh, yeah, I heard this song Steamroller by Phoebe Bridgers. And I was like, wow, this girl is going to be so famous. And I'm sitting there like, I haven't even heard this song. What song is that? And yeah, that's a good song, bro. That's a good song, dude. That's a heartbreaking song from a three song EP called killer produced by a guy who later she came, she realized that he was super abusive and he produced it, but we still listen to it because it's Phoebe Bridgers. And really the production is just scaled back. The production is just what he did probably was to just say, Hey, let's just scale it back. Let's just have the whole thing be just you and a guitar. Why does he get any credit there? What does it mean to be a producer? on something that's just a lady and a guitar. Like, what are you doing there? You just adjust the levels and you pick a mic and you put the world's most low-key filter on it where it's just like incredibly low-key. Like, there's very little producing there. I don't understand, man. I don't understand music. I don't understand. There's no producing there. Anyway, what was I talking about? Yeah. Yeah, so porn, right. I was talking about porn. I was talking about how I think in reality good sex and stuff is what the thing that you can't shoot in porn is how good sex is about um from a in straight people sex, from a man perspective, the key for a man is to figure out this uh, these two different extremes on one extreme you're completely animalistic and on the other uh, extreme you're completely cerebral and thinking about it logically and thinking about it with your conscious brain and you have to figure out ways to be both of those ways because it's actually there's a lot of thinking that needs to be done to figure out how to do things in like an intense you have to pay attention cerebrally to like uh micro signals of like what's good and stuff. And like, and then you have to not just be like that because you have to do this opposite thing of like being an animal and being like ferocious and being like in the moment and not giving a fuck and being intense, being like an intense animal. And then you have to, Hold both of those opposites. Both of those things need to be true in every moment in your actions and in your mind. And that's like, none of that is something you can film with a camera. None of that can be in porn. All you can really do in porn to get close to that is that you can show, like, I don't know, animalistic behavior, and maybe you can show some BDSM tension that maybe is a little bit cerebral. But you can't really film the um the tightrope dance between those two extremes and that's what good sex is but so i've always had this idea that like yeah we need to not have porn corrupt us and if there's going to be porn in anyone's life that it needs to be deliberate and how we allow porn in so that porn doesn't hurt us but then um I do think that there's this other way where how porn has corrupted me that I haven't realized until quite recently. And it's just this thing of how... It's like the Instagram thing. I think it's harmful to subconsciously convince yourself that everyone is that pretty. To to go on the internet where there's everything where there's infinite and in the infinite find someone who's like infinitely pretty and then to consume media produced by people who are like infinitely pretty and then to walk around in the world and have relationships with people in reality and be like, and compare your person in reality in front of you to people who are infinitely pretty on the internet, which is very subtle. It's very subtle and it's the, it's the Instagram thing of how if you are a 17-year-old girl and you are on Instagram all day and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and then you're comparing yourself to like um, influencers who have been filtered on Instagram, it's just so impossible to not let yourself be corrupted to comparing yourself to an infinitely beautiful thing on the internet and it's so like just from a basic thing like we used to live in villages with a hundred people and then there would be someone who was the prettiest of the hundred people and then you'd 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 find some it's a more finite pool And you'd find this compromise where you find someone who's like you have enough in common with them and they're pretty enough and they're funny enough and they're cool enough and your connection is like good enough. And it's like just this incredibly managed level of expectation where, I mean, I'm sure people even in that world had this like incredible dreams inside of their hearts. I'm not saying, you know, everything was definitely as big. They just didn't have this corrupting um let's scale something and let something grow tall until it reaches the moon, infinite long tail of the internet thing. Because it just doesn't work. Like the prettiest girl I see all week shouldn't be some unrealistically pretty girl on the internet on a porn website, it should be that girl at the gym today who's, like, very, very pretty. And it should cap out there. Because then on the internet, you can find someone who's actually super weird looking, but that's just exactly your thing. With all these different body parts that don't maybe don't even um, adhere to, like, the mainstream interpretation of what's hot. It's not like someone who looks like a Barbie. Like for me, and this like incredibly personal and I i don't know. But it's like, for me, the people I think look the prettiest are like really weird looking. Like they look a little bit alien-y. You know? Some alien girl with freckles. That's just a little bit other world looking. Otherworldly. And it's like... And then I go on a dating app and I don't see that girl there. And I'm like, ugh, fuck this. That's a thing. I don't know. Maybe this is all really boring. But um, I have always told myself that I'm not going to let myself be corrupted by porn. And then I think recently I've realized that that is a way in which it's actually affecting me. And I think it's actually making it harder. I think looking back on the last 10 years... I don't think it was true in my marriage, because I accidentally married someone who looked like that, who was perfectly pretty. Oh, God, this feels very, like, I don't know, whatever I talk about, it feels mean. I don't mean to be mean. I don't mean to be mean. I don't mean to be mean, but I am. Yeah, let's see another water. Peach cobbler. No, it's not peach cobbler. It's just peach. Clover Valley, peach. Clover Valley from Dollar General because your boy is poor. Oh. Oh. Well, I mean, if there's something that's good when it's syrupy and artificial, it's peach. Oh, that's so good. It's like if there was a Sprite that was like peach-flavored Sprite. It would taste like that. It's actually delicious. But it's cheating. Yeah. So um, another game that I played a couple of hours... That I love already. I've only played it. I think I've played it a total of six hours. I love it. It's called Death Stranding. It does so many cool things. It's, first of all, I just love playing like something that I, when you have, it's not true that I haven't played video games at all in the last 10 years because I've had a phone and I've had a shitty computer. So then sometimes you end up playing like indie games with really basic graphics, but like a beautiful story or something. And when you play a bunch of those games, you get this fomo sense of we really want to play something that's beautiful like this, but beautiful and poetic but also visually beautiful in a way that's like really needs a lot from your hardware and stuff and it's just so satisfying to play a high budget incredibly visually beautiful game that's also poetic and weird because this game is like fucking insane, but it it does a lot of different things and it it's like um it's like a really surreal um plot that I it's just surreal in a way that I really care for but it, it, but it does one interesting thing which is that all the characters in the video game are cast with real actors so they the main character is the crossbow guy from Walking Dead Daryl I think his Uh, Character name in Walking Dead is Daryl, which is fascinating in many ways because so then when they zoom in on his face in the video game, they create a 3D rendering of him. But it's clearly not just a 3D rendering. It's also a motion capture thing because this guy moves around in a weird way just like the character in The Walking Dead. But it does multiple things. And so when I see his face zoomed in, beautifully captured in 3D, I realize what what I've been missing in all those other games where they don't base it on an actual human being. And I realize that what I'm missing in all those games is that his face, he's like very handsome. But his face has all these flaws and they like he has like some moles and liver spots on his face, just like the way they are in The Walking Dead, the way he is in reality. They just kept them and they kept all of his flaws and his hair is so specifically shitty because he has this like incredibly flat, horrible looking quaff of hair. It's so funny. No one else has hair like that. I mean, I don't know. It's not no one. People in reality have hair like that. But on the screen, they rarely do because on the screen, they always make him look pretty. But his hair is so flat, like he's never conditioned ever. Like negative 9,000 use of conditioner, you know? So... You look at this flawed real face and it's so believable. And then they use this other thing where the vi- the game, the video game is set in this post-apocalyptic world. So he is playing a character in the video game that's exactly like the character in The Walking Dead. Which is so helpful to get you to believe it. Like this game does so many things that's that other video games fail to do because video games are bad at this believability thing in the end. Video game plot is something that they they put so much more effort into the other parts. And like voice actors, they just use regular people. They just like put out an ad for voice actors and then they just pick the best one and they think it's going to work. And then the game is like a $500 million game. So it's as if you took a Marvel $500 million movie and just instead of taking you know Bruce Willis and all Jason Momoa and all the biggest celebrities and making them the superheroes you just put out an ad and you just get a hundred people that come in and you just pick the best one like of course you have to pick the best people so it's just a game that really in in a very balanced way is actually putting effort in places where video games normally don't and it's, like, in The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead is all about, like, um how it's dirty and there's zombies everywhere. And they're just struggling to, like, get food and build little camps. And it's just... It's a, it's a game that's... I know. I mean, Walking Dead is a TV show that... It's not even really about the plot, that fucking TV show. It's just about an atmosphere. And it's just about the struggle. It's just about survival. So they have literally made 12 seasons of it or something. But they could make 120 seasons because just trying to get food is something you could do forever. Like there's no arc to any plot in this fucking thing. They try, but they fail. It's really just about how there's these zombies walking over and they have to run over and grab the thing before the zombies grab it. And then the zombies come when it's dark and the zombies come when the sun sun is out and it's just zombies. And it's like, in the tv show everyone is tired no one can shower they're always everyone's dirty they're always hungry everyone has just uh gone back to a you know the girl i never talk about on the podcast cuz i don't want to cuz i i'm disappointed in myself and i promised her not to talk about her she um, she's a teacher, and and the way I got into the Walking Dead is because she showed me the first episode. She was like, "We're just gonna watch the first episode," because she would she wanted to rewatch it basically. So she was like, oh, "We're we're just gonna put on the first episode," and she said the way she framed it was, "I show this." She was a teacher. She's like, "I show this episode in class, in my government class," because it's like, it's a great portrayal of just not plot not character just situation it just it just paints a world very clearly and immediately and convincingly of what does it mean to not have government what is the hobbes state of nature You go back to the 1500s and the 1600s where John Locke and Rousseau and Hobbes and all these people that were, when government was in its infancy and when we were like shooting the shit and trying to come up with a a modern way to do democracy, The Walking Dead is just a really good uh, explanation, just showcasing a world and... it's it's a really good i don't know what is government class called in america i'm sure it's 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 going to be some um acronym sogov you know it's going to be something like that it's going to be like fis ed all american classes are some weird shortening not an acronym acronym is a slightly different thing um but so the tv show The Walking Dead is a portrayal of a a world and a character. This Daryl character is a big character. He kind of stays longer. Everyone else dies, but he stays a really long time. And he has a southern accent, and he seems like a shitty guy, and his brother is really racist, and you think he's racist too. And, And then it turns out that he actually has a heart of gold, and he's not racist, and he actually ends up killing his brother, I think. Spoiler alert. But... um. The game, Death Stranding, is completely unrelated to The Walking Dead. But the fact that they pay money to have this actor and they keep his haircut, (laughs) exactly the same shitty, weird haircut, and they keep everything about him, like his weird motion, his weird way of talking and his like super um, rebellious, like just contrarian way of talking and interacting with everyone and it's just disgruntled thing where he like doesn't want to help anyone and it's a and it's a world where everyone needs help and then in the end he always has a heart of gold and he always helps like they borrow all of that from the TV show and borrowing someone who has been typecast into a video game helps so much with making it um, convincing and then they have all these big actors Guillermo del Toro all these big names. They have like, and the game is like post-apocalyptic and there's monsters and stuff. So it's like Walking Dead, but it's also futuristic with a lot of futuristic, uh, weird, um, dusty tech, dusty future tech. So they, the guy who's like leading you along, they borrow so heavily all these different characters. They took Bernard from Westworld. The character Bernard, I don't know what the actor's name is. I don't know what any of these actors' names are. But Bernard from Westworld, which is also a very clear character, they took him, and he's basically the same character. Where He's like this voice of reason black guy who talks about a lot of tech and explains a lot of tech, and it's like kind of nerdy. And it's like, The fact that they borrow these characters, it's so new for a video game to do this, and it's so convincing when you do it like this. And it would almost feel hokey if it was done in a video, in a, in a TV show or movie, because then it would feel like you are... What are you really adding if you just take a bunch of pre-existing characters from other TV shows and movies and put them together and just act, let them act the way they were? But in a video game, you're You do that, and then you do it in a plot that's insane, like it's a Japanese nightmare, insane plot again. And it does not feel lazy, because the game does so many other things. Because the actual game is so much like The Walking Dead, where the game is just about how you have to carry shit. Like it's a weird world where there's monsters outside of these little bases so no one wants to go out there so your whole the whole game is that you go out and you just pick up stuff that people dropped and you bring it back to the base and so this stuff gets real heavy. You carry really heavy stuff. So you're a little guy with these big boxes on on your back. And it's like the Daryl from The Walking Dead. It's just like, oh, and he's falling over. And the whole game is like, woo, you're about to fall left. Press the right trigger button, right trigger. And then he Red steadies himself. And, oh, you're about to fall to the right. Press the left trigger. Ooh. And the whole game is just carrying heavy shit from A to B, back and forth, back and forth, which is called being a porter. And it's like such a weird uh game format. But, um It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And then here's the craziest thing. The other character who's famous, who's in this game, is... I had to look up her name. I looked it up and wrote it down. Leah Sado. I don't know how to um, pronounce it. but So in the movie The Lobster, it's one of my favorite movies. It's part of the new wave, new weird wave of movies from greece there's a bunch of greece greek directors making movies that are part of a wave called new weird and the lobster is maybe the most famous one and it's like extremely weird but it really is weird in a way that feels meaningful and it feels like it communicates something and i've talked about it on the podcast many times and there's this character in the movie she is the head of the loners he gets thrown out of this hotel where people are when they get to have a partner. And then she, he's in the forest. And there's this, uh, loner, the head of the group out there. She has a weird, like, French accent. When you look, as a European, when I see her, I can clearly see she's, I can immediately know that she is one of these annoying, entitled people who probably grew up in, like, Luxembourg or S- Switzerland. And she, speaks four languages cuz she's her dad's rich and she went to all these private schools and it's like a very annoying type of person where you're annoyed because she's super privileged and you're not and she does not add anything to the movie the lobster but the lo- the lobster is so fucking good and then i was watching the french dispatch which is um what's his name luke Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson, a Wes Anderson movie. Now, all Wes Anderson movies are incredible. They just are. Like the fantastic Mr. Fox or whatever it's called. Like all Steve Sizu, All these movies are wonderfully different and beautiful and light and funny. But The French Dispatch is probably my favorite one. And she's in that movie. And what I thought about when I watched The French Dis- Dispatch is how this lady is so good at picking projects. She is in the best shit, but she doesn't add anything. Like in The Lobster, she doesn't actually do anything. Like she is not the reason Lobster is good. She doesn't take anything away from it. She doesn't make it worse, but she's just there. And she talks in her annoying French accent. And she has this like really unlikable character. And her character is supposed to be unlikable. And it all works. And then she's in the French French dispatch and she says, unlikable again. And she just found herself in the best Wes Anderson movie. And it's like, how is this lady? This lady has such good taste and is such a shit actress. And then I'm fucking playing Death Stranding and it's fucking uh, Dylan or whatever, Darren, Derek, whatever his name is, the guy from Walking Dead, and he's fucking, he's fucking trying to survive amongst all these monsters in this weird post-apocalyptic world with all this incredibly strange concepts being thrown around from the nightmares of a little Japanese man. And then that lady shows up and it's the same thing where she doesn't add anything. And it's like, she's annoying and she's unlikable, but she's supposed to be unlikable. And she's just so good at picking good projects. And not adding anything to them, but also not make, not doing any damage. Like, she doesn't harm. She doesn't make these projects worse in any way. So, I think maybe this lady whose name I don't even know how to pronounce, I think maybe I just need to go back into her filmography and just watch and play and do everything. Just partake in any content she has created because. She has the best taste of anyone. Honestly, maybe that's the best position to be in. Because when you're the one who makes it good, when you're the actor in the movie who makes the movie good, there's so much pressure for you in the next movie to be the one to make that movie good again. And you can never live up to that. But to be the person that just banana peel slides into all the best projects and you're just kinda hanging out, being unlikable? I don't know. I'm I'm tempted to just Google her right now live and see if there's some project that she has been in that oh she's French. Ugh Ugh She began her acting career in French cinema, appearing in films such as The Last Mistress and On war. On war is so funny. Anything that starts with on, oh, God, how pretentious is that? On suffering, you know? On God. She got a César Award for her performance in The Beautiful Person 2008. Man, she has the most unlikable face I've ever seen. Also, it's weird for her to be in a video game because if you go to her Wikipedia and look at her photo... Her photo, her face in reality looks like a 3D rendering because it's like a little bit too perfect. Lea helene Sedou Fournier de Clazon—that's her full name. Maybe the most unlikable name I've ever. She was in Inglorious Bastards. She was in Ridley Scott's Robin Hood. Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris. She was in Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. Dude, they haven't even mentioned any of the movies I like. They haven't mentioned this. Oh, she's in. Yeah, so. Yeah, okay. So looking at her page here in that she, none of the things I talked about was part of her notable stuff. Yeah, okay. So I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. But um, yeah, the lobster, the French dispatch, death, death, stranding. I don't. Yeah, I. I think Death Stranding is going to be one of the best things I ever play or partake in my entire life. It's just so, so weird in a way that really speaks to me. Like it's um, it's a post-apocalyptic world where where there's some thing that people know about where after you die, you go to a place called the beach and then you sort of come back to the world as a ghost and the ghosts are called BTs and they never explain what the acronym BT stands for. But they, the only way we can communicate with them is that through having these, it's so stupid to explain this because it's inexplicable, but I just want to give you a taste of the weirdness. It's, you walk around the game with this little um plastic balloon on your belly with a stillborn, no, not stillborn, with a fetus in it, an unborn fetus. And the fetus is harvested from something called a still mother, which is a brain-dead mother who gives birth to babies that they harvest before the baby is born. So they take this baby before it's born and they put it into this... um solution and the baby stays alive but it never grows because it's not it knows that it's not that hasn't been born yet so they don't grow so they stay a certain shape and size and they just look like fetuses and they're in this clear bubble plastic bubble thing with this orange liquid in it so and then like it's so evocative you know like it's so like it feels like like if that was made in America. It would be viewed as pro-choice or pro-life propaganda, but it's from Japan where they just have a totally different context, Context, so it's actually completely unclear how to even read it. And all you know is that you have this fetus on your belly in the game that's like, it's so evocative fetuses, fetuses that don't get to grow up. Fetuses, like babies, like an unborn baby. And the thing is that if you fall over and stuff, like you carry these heavy... The fetus helps you communicate with the ghosts because there's something about reincarnation and how a newborn baby that hasn't been born yet, like an unborn fetus, is somehow more connected to the beach where where death is because a baby comes from death maybe. You know, it's like this idea. It, none of this is explained, but it's all just like the vague idea, something about how you know, how you can conceptualize death. When people ask, like, what does it feel like to be dead? You can turn that over and be like, well, what does it feel like before you were born? And maybe death feels the same because maybe before you were born and after you die is the same. Like to a non-religious person, that's actually quite intuitive that before you were born and after, or or at least like non-Christian, like those two states are probably the same. So... It makes sense that after you die, you go to a place and then you're ripped back to the world as a ghost that's invisible where you can not, you never really see the ghosts. You only see their footprints. And that it somehow makes sense that a baby that just was, that hasn't even been born yet is somehow connected to those ghosts more. So you carry this baby around on your belly in this, in this balloon, in this incubator thing because it can, uh, warn you when there's ghosts around. And it makes sense intuitively somehow. But then it's like so spooky because if you fall over, you're out there trying to avoid ghosts and you're carrying heavy things on your back. And then if you fall over because you're rushing too much, the baby gets like upset because you're shaking it too much. So then you have to like stop and detach the baby from like your your big machinery and your suit, and you have to just hold the baby in this bubble of of orange liquid and just make eye contact with it and just rock it back and forth and speak to it softly so you soothe, to soothe it, just soothe the and the baby is called a BB, the two letters BB. It's like everything about it is so like silly, but also there's something truly Japanese about leaning into scary things and the like. These concepts are just concepts that we'd be too scared of to deal with, like that an American, especially in America, where abortion is so, especially right now, where abortion is so fucking difficult to even talk about. It's not difficult to talk about. It's just a war where there's no, like the 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 good path forward on abortion is in a no man's land between two opinions, and no one, no one in not a single person in America has the right opinion on abortion anymore. You know. Um, It was Hillary Clinton, not Bill Clinton, who said that abortion should be legal, rare, and safe. Or whatever. Available, safe, rare. And that opinion has been lost. The rare thing has been lost. Liberals have forgotten that abortion should be rare. But so... Yeah. I don't know. The only thing I know about it in Japan is that in Japan, maybe it's broken and maybe there's some, they're so secular and so different from the Christian baggage of the Western world that maybe I've just heard, I don't know if this is true, but I've just heard this trope of how maybe in Japan, abortion is just viewed as a form of contraception where young girls just have abortions all the time because it's just easier than... Using contraception, which, and then the backlash to that is that there are certain forms of, like, Japanese culture. Like, there's this one manga, I can't remember what it's called, but there's this one manga that was, like, about a ghost world where everyone... Oh god, I wish I could remember this, but it's 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 something where every aborted fetus is on your back as a little ghost, and the way they draw it in the manga is horrifying because it's like it's these people with just like mountains of dead fetus ghosts just holding on to each other in this like weird floating, heavy but still floating um spooky looking pile. On your back, of dead babies, you know what I mean. Like Japanese people are not afraid of that, of cons, of or like they are. They their conversation about abortion is in a place where that's something you can depict, and it feels like a contribution to a conversation. Whereas in America, people don't really. I don't know. I guess the reason nothing like this is part of any kind of media in America is because it's too much just two very clear polarizing, polarized halves of a country. And if you include anything about abortion, it always is interpreted as a pro or against, and you always lose half of the population. You lose half of your customers. So no movie or TV show can ever be part of the conversation because you will immediately lose half of your thing. But so in this video game, it's like, yeah, it's like in the beginning of the game, they're like, okay, so this BB has been, <clears throat> um, uh, this BB is going to be discarded. It's been flagged for, uh, for for being discarded and so you got to discard it so you got to throw it in the fire and then you don't you're like hey I don't want to throw this baby in the fire and then it turns out that they have a little bit of a connection and they can actually help each other and it's like yeah and you can definitely read that as a pro-life scene but I think the context It's very different. Let's drink another water. Clover Valley, blood orange. I love blood orange. So blood orange, the thing about blood orange that makes it good, it's, it's um, bitter. It's got a little bit of bitterness. And that bitterness, together with the acidity of the citrus, together with the sweet, sweetness of what's going to be in this, because these all taste like Sprite, the bitterness with the sweetness might be wonderful. Ooh, that smells real good. Ugh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Not enough bitterness, too much faky, faky sweetness, but whatever. Yeah, okay, I actually have to go to work. I was actually gonna do uh there was another thing I wanted to do. But But I don't have time. I have to end this episode and go to work. We'll do it next week. I always talk about how I'm Swedish, and, and I feel like I'm. this podcast is an act of educating the world about Sweden, but I actually never teach anyone anything about Sweden on here. So I was going to go through uh, new words. Because in Sweden, because everything is more centralized, we just have a semi-governmental organization that controls the one dictionary, and every year they... Am- they announce in a really formalized way what the new words are that they're adding to it and I already referred to the word dude guessing which is like mansplaining but how men just guess just make these guesstimates while they're talking really fluently like they really just assume that they already know everything and um, dude guessing it was a word in 2017 that my friend Sebastian used very casually a couple of weeks ago. And I immediately felt this pang in my heart of FOMO of being like, so this word's been into people were using it. And five years ago, the dictionary people picked up on it because there's a little bit of a lag, right? Like once the dictionary people put it in the dictionary, it's been a, a thing. It's quite established at that point. And I still didn't know about it in 2022. It's like, You know, imagine if you moved to Botswana and then someone uses the word manspreading on a phone call with you back to America. And you're like, manspreading, what does that mean? And then you realize that manspreading has been a word for 10 years and you just feel, how would you feel? I'll tell you how you would feel. You would feel sad and lonely. And you would feel like you've lost your home And your connection to your home because they have this ever-evolving new culture of improving themselves and talking about stuff and figuring out stuff and coming up with ways to point things out and you're not there for it and you're missing out on it and you're just tumbling through I almost said black space but that felt racial because I used Botswana as the As the example in this podcast episode has already been racist enough. Me haranguing some poor black guy just because he pulled over and wanted to buy some berries. No no human is illegal. Alright, I love you guys. This episode is over. I love you guys. Thank you.